This is FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and WGNSRadio.com. Rutherford County's Place to Talk. Hip, hip, hooray, let's give a cheer. It's 9 a.m., the signal's clear. Our favorite host is in the chair. The Truman Show is on the air. It's the Truman Show with Truman Jones. A look at the politics, news, sports, and people that are shaping Rutherford County. The Truman Show is on the air. The Truman Show is on the air. From the Willow Window Broadcast Center. Willow Window, making your home beautiful again with replacement windows, doors, and decks. Online at willowwindow.pro. Now live from NHC's Adams Place, home of premier senior living on Memorial Boulevard, here's Truman Jones. Good morning, Rutherford County. We're trying to stay current uh, this week. Uh, uh, we've got a lot of things that are going on that are affecting us directly. Uh, and... Uh, we have Paul DeHoff on today, and we're going to be talking about something that um, probably is the fault of uh, a lot of people who live in this country. Maybe they didn't make the right decision um, just recently, and we'll be talking about oil and how it's affecting us, how it's affecting our, directly affecting our, our pocketbook, and, and uh, uh, I have... Uh, Paul DeHoff, you uh, actually worked with an oil company, and there's been so many things going on as far as pipelines and uh, whether um, uh, that is something that's maybe bothering our uh, uh, land and, and affecting uh, our... Um, w w what is it the, the, the liberals have pushed us as far as how we're destroying our country and, and, and all the values that we have in nature and things like that. And uh, and tomorrow we're going to have uh, Harry Gill on, and we're going to be talking about Ben Cates again tomorrow. So that was a great loss to our community. But tell me what in the world is going on, Paul. Well, we've had a lot of... Uh, uh, push for what's called green energy yeah and <clears throat> the idea sounds great but so far there's no way it can ever pay for itself yeah now once it's up and running the infrastructure can support itself but you cannot produce the uh the items needed to do green energy without using hydrocarbons and that sort of thing you've got to have the the fuel and the uh, you can't use green energy to make green energy right and so <clears throat> the result of that has been that we've got a lot of uh, very expensive projects which can survive only by government support and government grants and it's never going to be self-sustaining yeah uh, and it's it's sad but the oil and gas industry itself has been extremely uh, effective in the United States mm -hmm. um, they they push for uh, proper distribution and development, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. We, of course, we had the Keystone Pipeline, which is the Keystone XL Pipeline, which has been shut down by Biden. Yeah. And uh, with the loss of the Colonial Pipeline transport, uh, 
sort of demonstrated why we need more than one one major pipeline. That would bring uh, oil and gas from Canada down to Houston to get it uh, processed and refined yeah. and developed. And then from Houston, you can ship it to the east or the west or wherever you want it. It doesn't seem like we're getting a whole lot of support from Washington uh, that we have so many problems going on right now. We know that Israel has been attacked and they're fighting back and uh, we were always been one of their biggest supporters, if not the biggest supporter for for them. And uh, um, it just seems like that nothing seems to be going forward that supports our particular values, at least down here. I don't know what's going on in, in the rest of our country right now. Right now, the reports are there have been over 3,500 rockets fired into Israel. Yeah. And their Iron Dome Patriot missile system, which we helped develop and, and uh, did develop mm -hmm. and supplied to them, have shot down probably 80 to 85 percent of those rockets coming in. Yeah. But that's still quite a few landing in there. And uh, so the, Israel is determined to stop the occupation of areas with military weapons mm -hmm. and to shut down the terrorist groups that are doing it. And uh, the calls that we have for people to say, well, we need to, we need a ceasefire and we need to get it. It's, it sort of allows the terrorists to scurry back into <clears throat> the population, mm -hmm. get away with what they've done, and then say, well, we, we want peace now uh, until the next time they decide to fire. Yeah. It's a very difficult situation. And Palestinians, certainly, they have rights. But uh, one of those rights doesn't include lobbing 3,500 rockets into Israel. Yeah. Uh, but what is wrong with our media when Israel has turned out, as far as listening to them, they are the bad guys and the terrorists are the good guys. It's almost like when the police go somewhere and, and to try to arrest a criminal and, and uh, something happens where they have to use the, the, the most deadly force that they have uh, in their arsenal simply because they're in danger and everybody else is in danger. Um, the police are the bad guys and the criminals are the good guys. It, it, but most of this is coming from a thought process that's not really news. It's it's trying to support what their particular, uh, uh, whatever it is, uh, what, whatever they want to happen with our country. They want it to go forward the way they want it to and has nothing to do with the realities, especially for this country. Paul Harvey used to introduce his show, Paul Harvey News and Comment. Yeah. And he had news and he had comment. Now what we have mostly is, is comment and commentary, and you'll find little things inserted in like they'll say, uh, Trump's baseless claims of such and such, Trump's false claims of such and such. Well, the word baseless and false is not part of the report. Yeah. That's a commentary on what they believe Trump did or didn't do, and uh, they need to just report the facts and let people judge for themselves what it is. And, of course, they say, well, we have to put it in context and we have to put put the interpretation on it so people will understand the background of it. Well, I think we understand the background, and that is that the news media is undermining a lot of the things that we're doing, and they, they have a job to do, and, and they're not getting it done. Yeah. This country was built on hard work, 
and looking at the values of wherever you are at the time. And we were talking about the railroad system and how much it meant to us and all the people that were part of building of the railroad. This country is based on hard work and everybody uh, having a piece of the pie, you might say. And we're finding a, a really hard time. And you, you remember um, being part of the travel process and everything going on across the West. And, you know, there's a great movie, How the West Was Won, and it pretty much uh, focuses on the people that uh, are, are the ones that really built this country. Yeah, there were a series of movies they made back in the 50s, probably. There was, uh, based on the railroads, there was Central Pacific uh, movie, and then there was a movie called Union Pacific. And yeah. And those movies, and <clears throat> they sort of told some of the stories of the railroad. But in the United States, the, the customary pattern, well, let me back up. In Europe, the customary pattern for, for travel was first you'd have a path, and then you'd have a trail, and then you'd have a road, and then you'd have mm -hmm. a, a uh, hard surface road. And then later the railroads would come through. Yeah. Well, in the United States, in the West particularly, we, we reversed that. We just put the railroad in, and then from the railroad, all these other side things started. The towns, the, the spur lines, everything else spun off the railroad, which was just built right through the, right through the West. Yeah. And uh, it, it tremendously opened the, the uh, Glacier National Park Lodge. Mm -hmm. And the Yellowstone Lodge were both built by uh, the railroads so that people could come in and see the national parks and use the railroad to get there and stay at these great lodges when they, uh, when they arrived. Um, and it was interesting that when they built the railroads, uh, the, the government did not have the money to pay them to do mm -hmm. it, uh, enough money to pay them. They paid them some, but not much. So what they did was they gave them land on each side of the railroad track and in the West, the land surveys are what's called township range. Mm -hmm. And you have a square with 36 square miles, uh, one mile squares inside of it. Yeah. And those are numbered from one to 36. And so they granted the railroads the odd numbered tracks for 20 miles each side of the railroad. And, uh, you know, that land, even today, there's over 6 million acres held by uh, ConocoPhillips. Yeah. in uh, North Dakota and Montana and uh, out across Idaho and some of those areas where the rail line went. And they, you know, Conical Phillips bought Burlington Resources, which bought, which came from Burlington Northern, which came from Great Northern Railroad. And uh, <clears throat> that's how they ended up with those resources. And they're still there, and they're still very viable for production of minerals and oil and gas and that sort of thing. And particularly with fracking, that's opened up a significant amount of of oil, which otherwise would be trapped and lost. Now, as you went west during that time, a lot of that land had no ownership. Is that correct? There was a there were homestead acts which allowed people to go out and and stake areas, and uh, they would homestead it, and it became their land if they lived on it for a certain number of years. So now, did I, I presume they had claims or titles on that that were legally bound during that period they did although the um, a lot of the title if you start researching the title on it it'll just show up somewhere but uh, during the course when I was working with Conical Phillips we uh, 
we ran title on some of the acreage. They had never run title on it as mm -hmm. such. And so we ran title from the Railroad Land Act of 1862, could have been 1863, but I think it was 1862, signed by Abraham Lincoln, mm -hmm. and ran title from there all the way up to current. And a fascinating history in, in terms of following the, the ownership and the, and the lands and the development and, and what happened to the different tracks and that sort of thing. And it, uh, it was just incredible. We had a, a whole block of ownership deeds that we couldn't find. We mm -hmm. found them referenced, but we couldn't find the original deeds. And we sent people out to uh, Glacier National Park, that area to, to the federal courthouse where the records should have been, didn't have them, couldn't find them, set any other. So we, we left. And the clerk calls us several days later and says, I think I have found your deeds. And we're like, okay. And she said, about five years ago, we had an interior decorator come in and redo the lobby and the and the waiting area and this, that, and the other. <clears throat> and out in the lobby on the coffee table is a large, oversized, leather-bound book, which she put out there for people to look at while they were waiting on things. And I think that has your deeds in it. It had never been microfilmed. It had never been recorded. There wasn't even a record that they had it. And it had been sitting there on that table for five years. And so we, we went out, and sure enough, that was it. And uh, we, we got it microfilmed and uh, uh, got it preserved. Well, it's all electronic images now, but got it all recorded. And, and uh, that secured the title chain coming back through there. Otherwise, you'd have a break in the chain of title. But. That's an attorney's heaven out there. I have been in places, uh, even in California, I found out that there were areas that still had gold and, and, and other uh, types of um, things that could make you rich if you really stuck to it. And Jackie and I, we went and, and we got a bottle, I think it was a bottle, and put our names in there and put that we were uh, taking over this particular part of the land out there. And as long as you were improving that land, it was yours. And I can't think, I think it was for a year. And then if you didn't continue uh, making that part, uh, getting more... Uh, uh, Operations and improvements. Yeah. Then, uh, and part of that, would, of course, would be uh, uh, mining for gold and all the other things that, that go with it. But I got to thinking... This just doesn't seem right to me. I mean, we're used to everything being on, in a title or whatever and, and be at the courthouse or whatever where we can prove that that land is ours. It, it just doesn't seem like there's, there's nothing to really certify that that particular land is yours. And it seems like a lot of that was done, especially in the old days of the West. Well, they took... Uh, they would... There are many places where the minerals have been severed from the surface. Mm -hmm. You can separate the two. Yeah. And in most states, once that separation occurs, um, it stays that way. Mm -hmm. Unless somebody buys the minerals back for the surface owner and they reunite them. But in a lot of areas where you had, <clears throat> for example, uh, you know, Joseph Nickelfritz came through and bought a bunch of minerals in the... I remember him. 18, yeah, yeah. In the yeah. 1800s. 
and uh, he has all these deeds that are recorded, you know, where he bought all these minerals, and then he's vanished, and nobody has any idea who he is or where he is or what yeah. he did or anything else. And so <clears throat> the uh, mineral ownership, you know, they have some laws and provisions to, mm -hmm. to reclaim it, but it's, it's interesting that in Louisiana they put a prescription in of 10 years. If you have the minerals and you don't do anything with them for 10 years, then they revert to the surface owner. Yeah. And surface owner gets them back. So you have to either develop it uh, or uh, get oil and gas out of it or minerals out of it, or it goes back to the surface owner. But most states don't have that prescription period, and it pretty well stays, stays separated. And, of course, the, the big thing that happened back during these old days, in the 1800s especially, was we went over land that was already pretty much owned by uh, Indian tribes, and as the as the um, the locomotives went through, they were causing problems with each tribe as they went by, and and then the war started, and a lot of lives were lost. But um, they seemed to be the victims. Uh, as they had had those uh, particular areas for many, many years, and it had been their home place, um, it, it, it's, it, it doesn't seem to kind of fit with what goes in our country simply because you have those ethnic groups that are out there that uh, um, we're taking over their land, which doesn't really seem to fit in the way this country uh, has progressed over all the years. It's interesting. I had a friend who was a Sioux Indian, mm -hmm. and he uh, has a great tribe. He, yeah. He, well, he was talking about that. He said, he said the reason the Sioux Indians had such a wide area that mm -hmm. they lived in is because they went in and took it away from all the other tribes. Yeah. And they drove all those tribes out. <clears throat> and he said, so you know, we took it from them. And he said, white man comes out, he takes it from us. He said, things just progress on and you go from there. Yeah. I thought it was a very unusual approach on his part. because. But it's hard for them to accept it. I mean, you look at the tribes and uh, th they still have been affected all these years because they lost their particular way of lives and there's no way to get it back again. No, it, it's uh, it's definitely, there, there are two types of, uh, primary Native Americans, one who live out in community and, mm -hmm. and assimilate more or less, and then those who live on the reservation and uh, uh, the tribe stays there and they operate under the tribal council and this, that, and the other. Yeah. Lived in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and uh, tremendous Indian presence out there. Even, you know, you can have blonde haired, blue eyed, card carrying Indians, mm -hmm. and uh, it's very fascinating in what they were doing. Yeah, it's, um, I have seen. A lot of the things I, Jackie and I have traveled all out west, and she's she's been up there with uh, Sarah Bell, who is one of the uh, ladies from here who has done so much for uh, those tribes uh, uh, up in the Lakotas and places like that. And uh, I, it seems like it's harder for them to um, assimilate take over, yeah, go into our particular way of life. You know, there's been a lot of doctors, lawyers, 
uh, a number of them that have left uh, the particular area that they're in and, and with their tribes gone on become very, very successful uh, as attorneys and, and medicines and things like that. But it's always calling them back. They have to go back to the reservations, even though it's not going to be um, as as comfortable a way of life as, as they were used to. Uh, it's hard to adjust to those type things. It is for a lot of people. It just shows you how different we all are. It, it's amazing, it's, especially uh, the males. It's, it's much harder for them to adjust to that than it is for the females. One of my dad's good friends was Joe Gilmore mm -hmm. uh, from, from California, and he was an Indian chief, and uh, he lived just like a normal person would. Yeah. Uh, very effective, very influential, died a number of years ago, but uh, he and dad visited and talked on things, and uh, <clears throat> he said he never understood people who just, Joe Gilmore, mm -hmm. said he never understood people who just wanted to sit around and do nothing and draw a welfare check. Yeah. He said, why would you not want to get up and do something, develop the land, improve things, get things going? He said, particularly you go on some of the reservation system, he says, it's a third world country. Yeah. And he said, it, it's partly the result of the uh, seeming inability of people to, uh, to just get up and do something. Yeah. And you don't want to put it all on them because they need help. But, yeah. But... Uh, interesting approach yeah we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with paul diaz main street murfreesboro presents friday night live concerts starting june 4th with the live performances in front of the rutherford county courthouse first friday of each month through september bring your chairs and friends to the murfreesboro square for friday night live concerts starting at 6 30 p.m brought to you by wilson bank and trust along with monthly sponsors t-mobile michael Busey state farm and middle tennessee state university check out mainstreetmurfreesboro.org for more information it's a slick pig barbecue Spicy wings and Brunswick stew Everything made fresh for you At the Slick Pig Barbecue There's lean smoked turkey and chicken too Ribs so tender don't need to chew Well come on folks, I'm telling you It's a Slick Pig Barbecue In 1920 East Main, you're gonna love the pig The Slick Pig Barbecue, a Murfreesboro tradition At Heritage South Community Credit Union We help when others won't it's what our members tell us we do every day. Whether it's a loan for a car you need to get to work or saving for the future, let us see if we can help. If you live, work, worship, or attend school in Rutherford, Bedford, or Marshall Counties, you can be a member of Heritage South. Visit our website, heritagesouth.org, to learn more. Insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. Hi, this is Lisa Halliburton with Bell Jewelers. We can't forget the special dads in our lives. June 20th is Father's Day. At Bell Jewelers, we have watches that can be engraved for dad, tie tacks, men's bracelets, really nice selection of men's jewelry, pocket knives, clocks. June 20th is Father's Day. At Bell Jewelers, 821 Northwest Broad Street, across from Toots Restaurant. How are you feeling today? More than an empty question, it's a real reminder to reach out to coworkers, friends, family, and neighbors. Remind them to get the care they need. 
Someone you know may be delaying important emergency care, chronic care, or emotional care. At Ascension St. Thomas, appointments are available now with strict precautions in place for your safety in our care. Ask about virtual visits. ERs at Ascension St. Thomas Hospitals are open 24-7. Get the care you need at getsthealthcare.com. The Garden Patch Thrift Shop on Spring Street, across from the tall NHC building. All of the proceeds that we generate from our store goes directly back into the ministry for those programs that Greenhouse has. So we would just encourage people to come out and take a look. The Garden Patch offers competitive prices on name brand clothing, furniture, large appliances, household items, toys, and more. Shopping at the Garden Patch helps Greenhouse Ministries inspire, give hope, and change lives. The Garden Patch Thrift Shop on Spring Street in downtown Murfreesboro. Now an update from the WGNSRadio.com News Center. I'm Ron Jordan. In observance of Memorial Day, City Hall and most other city offices will be closed Monday, May 31st. Some recreational facilities will be closed Saturday, May 29th and Memorial Day. Rover, the city's public transportation system, will not run Memorial Day. St. Clair Street Senior Center will also be closed. For a full list of what is and what is not open, head over to our website, wgnsradio.com. A free food box distribution will take place at the Murfreesboro Community Church this Saturday at 11 a.m., Food boxes will be handed out on a first-come, first-served basis until they're all gone. No pre-registration is required for the Bread of Life event on May 22nd. Well, if you live in Rutherford County and are planning a June wedding, chances are you'll be saying goodbye to your single life in Nashville. Nashville is the nation's top destination for bachelor and bachelorette parties. The National Bachelor-Bachelorette Planning Service, called The Batch, reports Music City has held the title for the last three years. Nashville followed by Scottsdale, Arizona, Miami, and Las Vegas in the top three. This year's Bachelor and Bachelorette Party season is expected to be the biggest in history, following all of last year's COVID cancellations. May 21st is being designated International Tennessee Whiskey Day. The designation comes after Tennessee General Assembly passed a resolution earlier this year that says the day celebrates and acknowledges the many contributions of the state's renowned distilling industry, its people, and products that help fuel Tennessee's economy. Governor Bill Lee signed the resolution last week. When news breaks, we tweet it. Follow us on Twitter at WGNS Radio. I'm Ron Jordan reporting. News updates around the clock, when it breaks, and on demand at WGNSRadio.com. We are News Radio WGNS. If you're looking around your home and it's looking like it's time to update, we can do anything as far as painting, new flooring, anything that you're looking for. If you can dream it, we can turn it into reality. They already did a great job on our bathroom, so when we decided to redo the playroom, Farrah Construction was the only one we called. This is Ron Hall with Farrah Construction. 615-893-6120. That's Fair Construction Company. Here at Bud's Tire, we make buying Michelin tires simpler. I'm Allison Mitchell with Bud's Tire Pros. We offer a straightforward approach to service, including nationwide warranties with every purchase. Stop in today to see our full lineup of Michelin and BF Goodrich tires. For whatever you drive, Michelin and BF Goodrich have a tire to fit any need. Bud's Tire Pros, hassle-free, guaranteed. We're located on East Main Street, exactly three miles from the town square, one mile past Rutherford Boulevard. Visit us online at BudsTireProsTN.com. 
Listen live to WGNS Radio on our website, and Alexa, or Google devices. Search WGNS Radio for on-demand podcasts in iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Plus, we have direct links to podcasts at WGNSRadio.com. Good neighbor weather. We'll see mostly cloudy skies here this afternoon with a high in the low 80s. Southeast winds of 5 to 15 miles per hour. Then for tonight, mostly cloudy skies, a low near 63. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Wojcicki on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 69. Premier Six Theater on Broad and Jackson Heights, showing all of your favorite movies. Call their hotline, 896-4100 or go see a movie.com. Popcorn Pop Fresh Daily, their movie hotline, 896-4100 or go see a movie.com. Premier Six on Broad and Jackson Heights. From NHC's Adams Place, home of Premier Senior Living on Memorial Boulevard. It's the Truman Show on News Radio WGNS. FM 100.5 and 101.9, AM 1450, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. And welcome back with Paul DeHoff. And let's talk a little bit about oil again. We were talking about it a little bit earlier, but we didn't get into many of the complications. You were, you were an attorney with the oil company. Is that correct? Uh, well, I was I was in their contracts division and uh, uh, negotiations and that sort of thing. Uh, tell uh, me how that goes because it seems like everything that the oil companies do these days, there's always some kind of negative response to it. Well, what we would do at times, we would go out and actually get the, the leases, the oil and gas leases from people who own the minerals. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> sit down, you know, sit down at the kitchen table and negotiate it, and uh, get something that's agreeable to them and agreeable to you, and in, in terms of development, there might be a three-year lease, might be a ten-year lease. Uh, ten years not so much anymore, more like three years. But in the course of doing that, <clears throat> you have the right to develop that land, and if you have operations on it, then you, for so long as those operations continue, you would have the minerals on that land, uh, oil and gas. And so uh, that's pretty much across the country, isn't it? Where people either buy or lease uh, a person's uh, land so that you can uh, take the the minerals that are basically right. part of uh, the negotiations. And you'd have to negotiate surface damages because if you had an oil and gas well on somebody, obviously that takes that man's field out of production, mm-hmm. and you have to pay him for whatever the surface damages are on it, or maybe. One case we had uh, somebody who was uh, growing turkeys, and uh, the truck growing turkeys. Turkeys. <laughs> the truck was going by the turkey thing and disrupting his turkey operation. So you know we paid him for the turkey operation mm-hmm. during the time it was down, and uh, th- those were damages that are paid along the way of doing things. Yeah. Well, people uh, actually allow that to happen on their property. Of course, sometimes. Uh, when you buy uh, a piece of property and build a house, there's already someone owning that particular part as far as being able to uh, uh, take the minerals out. Yeah, the uh, the surface owner cannot prevent the mineral owner from developing his minerals. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if the if the estate has been split, so you have a surface owner and a mineral owner separately, mm-hmm. the <clears throat> the mineral owner has the right to get his minerals out within the provisions of whatever's uh, ordinances and that sort of thing. Yeah, there's a timeline, uh, time limit on that, isn't it? Well, in Louisiana there is, but not in other states. Most states do not have a, a timeline. Uh, well, let me back up. 
if you get a lease, there's a term for that lease. Yes, mm -hmm. a primary term. And then beyond the primary term, you'd have an extended term if you continue to have operations and development and production and that sort of thing. But uh, if, 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 some, if, if the company or whatever hasn't been utilizing uh, their particular... Uh, if they choose to not develop it, then it goes back to the... Uh, that lease dies and uh, it's ended. The term ends and, uh, and you have to go back and redo things if you want to continue doing something and you haven't already started it. But if a landowner decides he wants that land completely back within his responsibilities, he can. He does. He have to file for that, even though that there may not be a limit on the the initial contract. He would have to buy the minerals, the mineral estate back, or in Louisiana, as I mentioned, they have that prescription period where after 10 years, if it's not developed or producing, then it goes back to the service owner. Yeah. But most states do not have that. So each state is so different, isn't it? it, it each state is a country in itself. In uh Pennsylvania, you know, they're producing oil and gas with fracking and that sort of thing. Yeah. And right across the line in New York, nothing, because New York forbids any development that sort of thing. So you have these massive fields in New York that people are not being paid for. They're not <clears throat> their mineral rights are in effect confiscated by the state for a time period mm -hmm. and even though they own the minerals and they have the right to develop those minerals the state won't let them so Pennsylvania's producing it New York's not uh, you know that's that seems to be part of of the uh, uh, way that elections go it's whatever's happening in that particular state and, and it's not really a it's not unified, is it? That, that's the thing that bothers me. You see the red and, and the blue, but each state is completely different. And why? It, it just doesn't seem our electoral process really fits each individual state. What's interesting in the Bill of Rights, that last one says any, any rights not specifically granted to the federal government remain with the states, so yeah. the states decide for themselves, and of course, there's been a lot of encroachment on that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> because the uh, they've tried to fit it in under the Fourth Amendment and under other amendments to say, well, the federals have a right to control this, and in some instances they do, but in some instances they're overextending what the Constitution says. Yeah. But it's uh, it's interesting that the development of oil and gas and railroads and uh, um, a lot of the country depends on those systems. Uh, I passed a train day before yesterday. There must have been a hundred oil tank cars in there. Yeah. And they're trying to cover for the Colonial Pipeline being down mm -hmm. and uh, transporting all that thing. I was out in Hobbs, New Mexico. Two miles, two solid miles of oil tank cars parked there waiting to fill up uh, from the fields that were there, the producing fields. And then they'll take that to the refinery and they'll refine it, and it'll go into everything from light, super light salad oils all the way down to uh, heavy asphalt crude. That's amazing. And uh, and all the plastics, if you think of all the plastics and all the uh, synthetics and that sort of thing, uh, a lot of those come from hydrocarbons, and uh, so it would make a tremendous impact on the on the country if you shut all that down. Yeah. We're going to continue with that. We have a caller on the line. Caller, welcome aboard with Paul Dioff. Yes, who is this? 
I tell you hey, what. Hey, Casey. Yes. I tell you what. I was here laughing. I was just about to fall out of bed. I'll <laughs> tell you what. Isn't it funny, Brother Truman, that seemed like everything that we need every two or three years, we have a problem with the price on it. You all ever noticed that? Oh, yes. <laughs> it, it does cycle up and down. <laughs> yes, sir. But just, and you know, there's a whole thing now. Wait a minute. Now, I had a friend, and we studied some stuff out a few years back. They told us that America had enough oil to last us maybe one or 200 years. Or did they, were they just playing with us? No, that, that's true. But it depends on how you develop it. If you, uh, A lot uh -oh. of the oil is locked in shale, uh -huh. and if you can't get the fracking done on it to release uh -huh. that, uh -huh. then you can't produce it. See, I knew. It was another way in or another way we won't have trouble getting it out. But I tell you what, isn't it funny? I seem like uh, next we're gonna have a problem get our strains. Seem like every <laughs> time we need something, we have a problem with the price. You ever ever kind of feel funny about that? Well, the guitar strings, they <laughs> did finally save the cats when they quit using cat gulp. <laughs> I love y'all, man. I'm listening, man. I appreciate y'all, man. Have a good one. You too, Casey. I love Casey. <laughs> our, uh, it seems like our per, our uh, uh, way of looking at things, our sense of humor, just run right along the same track. You know, pretty much we're all alike, uh, but it, it's funny how many different uh, thoughts that we have that don't seem to be working together. And... Uh, uh, Casey and I have been friends a long time, and uh, he's one of the best musicians anywhere in the country. He is great. He really is. Now, one of the old lines would be that you have to learn how to jihaw. Yeah, jihaw. Yeah. People today don't even know what jihaw means. You know, one's right, one's left, but and that's what they used with the mules and the snaking the yeah. timber out, that sort of thing. One thing that the the media <laughs> throws out that word fracking. A lot of people don't even understand what it is, and, and we've heard it uh, all during the campaigns and things like that. And fracking is one of the ways that, that has saved us a lot of money and given us the, the resources to have all the things that we need, like gasoline. And um, it's almost like, what in the world are we going to do without cars? And, and uh, the ability to travel from one place. Are we going to be getting on the, the trains and going to, to Nashville or wherever or across the country? It's, it's, this is a strange world we're living in right now, Paul. Europeans don't understand the American system in terms of space. Yeah. Uh, they're, you know, they're used to mass transit, everything being relatively close together, this, that, and the other. But most of the United States, other than the urban areas, you don't have mass transit. Yeah. You don't have anything. I mean, you can call an Uber, you know, and maybe they can come over and get you. But little towns out in the middle of nowhere, if you don't have a car, you don't have any way to get around. And, uh, of course, that comes from, from the gasoline production, which is primarily coming from the Gulf Coast of the United States. Mm-hmm. And uh, the refineries and things which we have down there are tremendously supportive of the American economy and what's going on with it. So what you're saying is people like us who live in areas 
where we still love our cars and, and, and that's our main source of transportation. And it, actually, you have seen it and I have seen it, when people are no longer able to utilize their cars because of, of sicknesses and things like that. Right. I have had, you'd be surprised how many people have called me over the years when they no longer can do it and it's taken their freedom away from me. You know, you know this, this country is built on freedom and it, that the automobile is the number one source for people who live outside the major cities that's their number one source of transportation. And it, it, it's also a way that you can look at the great countryside across this country. And uh, I, 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 I think about that a lot. Why do people who live in the major cities, why are they so against us having that freedom? Well, most of them are not familiar with the problems of it. Um, you know, they just view it as flyover country, yeah. and <clears throat> and what those people want to do there is not that important. Uh, it's it's cities that are important. I mean, in their opinion. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> so they uh, they don't have an understanding of what's going on with it. It's like like people who are experts on something that they've never seen, studied, or been to, mm -hmm. and yet they're going to tell you how to supervise it and and uh, take care of it and and operate it or not operate it, as the case may be, and uh, they don't have any experience with it. Isn't that a little bit of the seed that started the war in the 1800s, that uh, one group wanted to uh, pretty much tell the other group how they're supposed to uh, run their lives and, and uh, um, where, where, where the, the power comes because I, I think about that a lot. Most people up north did not understand what was going on in the south, and maybe vice versa. But but it wasn't the people themselves that were wanting that war. It, it, it was all about a power structure during that time. Well, in the, uh, the north, after the Civil War was over, north clearly won, mm -hmm. many of the southern states had for for the next 10 years after mm -hmm. the war still had military appointed governors mm -hmm. uh, military ruled martial law in terms of cities and towns and that sort of thing and it wasn't until the election of 1876 mm -hmm. the democrats were going to lose that election and it was pretty clear that they were in real trouble so they came to the southern democrats and said uh, look we've got to have your support to to get the election won. Yeah. And uh, Southern Democrats were like, well, what's in it for us? And and they said, well, what do you want? Well, we want your troops and your military governors and everything out of the out of the South. We want to have our state rights back. Yeah. And uh, they said, done. And so it was 1876 was marked the end of Reconstruction, the Reconstruction period. Mm -hmm. And the military governors, uh, there were still a couple of states that were under military uh, governorship. Those were pulled out, and they were returned to states' rights. And, of course, there's a whole, <clears throat> whole series of studies regarding what happened in the next 40, 50, 60 years uh, in terms of what the way states implemented the rights of different people. And then you had the, you know, the Civil Rights Acts of uh, uh, 18, I mean, of uh, 
in the 1950s, uh, protests and things came up, and then you had the Civil Rights Act 1965, 64, along in there when uh, Johnson signed in, which mm -hmm. changed a lot of things, legally speaking. Yeah. And uh, outlawed things. I mean, I, I remember the courthouse here. I can tell you right where it said, you know, white only. Uh, I remember those days. Thing and and uh, and black uh, restrooms, and uh, those are all gone now. Yeah. And, and good. And they should have been. Yep. They should have never been that way to start with. Yep. But each state is so different, and, and the needs of each state is is so different, and. It, it, it's hard to have people uh, that live in this country that are being affected by one state to the other. And everybody should have the, the, the same rights for their freedom and, and to be able to uh, uh, be able to live the way they want to live as long as it falls under the legal guidelines. But uh, it's it, it just... The states are so different in their, their in the way the land is constructed and the particular needs that are there and what each uh, particular state offers to the people that live there, and and it shouldn't be for, for whatever it, 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 one particular group should not be able to control uh, the entire. Uh, uh, land values of the country. Well, you know, they're still they're having a big discussion in California, essentially Northern California versus Southern California. Oh, I know. And uh, there there are people up north that say, look, we want to make a separate state in the yeah. northern part of the state because they don't like the policies of the southern part of the state. Um, I lived in California several years, and Bless it's, your heart. it's an interesting place. Yeah. Um, but a lot of lot of and beautiful landscape and oceans and that sort of thing, but uh, some really strange ideas that people have in terms of trying to impose on others things which they feel like uh, they ought to be able to take away from people. So the oil industry is one of the most powerful industries in the world, isn't it? Because you you look uh, how much is 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 out in the um, Europe. How much is in the Asian parts of the country? It, it, it's a, it's amazing that it has such a, an impact on our entire world. It's um, it's a far re it it reaches into the innermost parts of whatever country it is because mm -hmm. they've got to have hydrocarbons to be able to operate. Um, <clears throat> they've got to have a supplier to do that. They've mm -hmm. got to have uh, somebody develop it. Uh, you take a country like Angola or Nigeria, mm -hmm. uh, they have the the uh, natural resources there, but it's very very testy as to how you can develop that in a in an appropriate manner, without supporting you know without uh, supporting illegal causes that are out there, uh, rebel groups and that sort of thing, which you don't want to provide money to. Yeah. And uh, in the U.S., we've been very fortunate that. Uh, the systems that we have or have checks and balances with them. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it, it's interesting that the, the railroads and the uh, oil and gas industry and the interaction which they have and in today's world, the high tech industries like Microsoft and AT&T and those things, that, um, Amazon, uh, the influence which they have, <clears throat> there's always a, a war going on as to how much 
freedom should they be granted? How much protection should they be granted? How much accountability do we need to impose on them? Yeah. And uh, can they even remain one one uh, business? You know, uh, J. Paul Getty, uh, well, uh, I'm sorry, Rockefeller, Standard Oil of Indiana, mm-hmm. you know, they broke that company up into at least 10 different companies. And so Rockefeller had full ownership of Standard Oil, but then when they broke it up, he had a significant ownership in 10 different companies. And so he really made more money after they broke it up than he did before they broke it up. That's amazing. Uh, And so the result was that you have all these uh, corporate influences out there, and uh, it's a check and balance system that's very difficult sometimes. Yeah. Got another caller on the line, Paul. Caller, welcome aboard. Yes, sir, gentlemen. I'm kind of like you guys. I was born and raised in Murfreesboro. I I was a senior at Central, and I worked at a gas pump off the interstate. I remember when the price of gas was 25 cents, and we had a gas war, and everybody had kind of cut throat. That was that was fun back then. We used to get a lot of people to try to get their business because of the gas price. 25 cents a gallon in 1972. I remember, remember 17. That? I remember 17. Wow. Uh, Bud Mitchell over, over at, uh, at at Wilson Mitchell on Woodbury Highway uh, actually got down to 17. Bud says he can remember 15 cents a gallon. Oh, that's right. <laughs> well, yeah. I just thought I'd, I'd mention that. I thought that was fun. Well, it's yes, definitely sir. escalated since then. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> I appreciate you calling. Yeah. You know, that is something that you see, you rarely see any commodities or whatever that the price changes as much as it does on gasoline. Well, it'll even change on a weekly basis. In yeah. some stations, it'll go up It'll go up on Thursday and then back down on Monday. So it's higher on the weekend than it is during the week. I had a, I had a hard time getting gas last week. In fact, for three days, I was driving almost on empty. And I finally found a shell station out off of, uh, um, what is it, Rutherford Boulevard. And someone had told me about that. And thank goodness they did, or I'd have been walking. Yeah. But, but that's well, a we remember rare... The, we remember the long gas lines from the 70s and that sort of thing that, uh, you know, you had... Uh, people pushing their cars into the gas station because they ran out of gas while they're waiting in the line. Yeah. But uh, for the most part, we have a good system, a good refinery system, and a good supply line, but it's not without its weaknesses. Yeah. And uh, which the Colonial Pipeline shutdown clearly showed some of. And <clears throat> we need to harden our defenses against that sort of thing. And we need to have options available. And I, the Keystone XL pipeline would be a, a good option to help with that because yeah. you shut down some of the other stuff, bring it down from Canada, and get it get it refined. We're pretty much controlled by the, the things that go on with that system, aren't we? Because you never know from one one day to the next is, is something going to really affect our pipelines and keep us from being able to... You go to the gas station and get what we need. Yeah, generally we have a very reliable supply system, but it's not without its hiccups and glitches. And uh, 
so we just need to be aware of that and and be somewhat prepared for it you know i i try to tell my kids don't let your tank get past half empty mm-hmm. uh if it gets down to halfway fill it up you know and uh they're you know some of them want to run it all the way down to empty because they're using the kroger discount points or something other than you use, use that whole tank at one time and, well how, how will uh, the electric car industry affect the gas lines I don't think it's going to be that significant overall unless the government forces it on everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, electricity. Would, would they have that ability <clears throat> to force it on people? Well, the ones of us who, I never want to, uh, uh, to be perfectly honest, I don't want an electric car. I want my car to stay the way it is and, and the way they've been for, what, over 100 years now. Well, I mean, you drive an electric car. If you're going from here to California, you're not going to make it. You got to stop. You got to recharge the batteries. Got to get it going. I mean, you might have 200, 250, 300 miles. Some of them further than that. But, but the batteries have to be recharged, and they don't recharge in the time it takes to fill up a gas tank. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, the difficulty you run into is that even the manufacture of electric cars requires uh, hydrocarbons. Mm-hmm to manufacture that car and to get the batteries all up and everything else. And you have a significant expense at the end of that 10 year period, 10 year battery period, you're talking $10,000 to replace a battery mm. uh, system on the cars. So the life of your car is, is significantly curtailed. And uh, you know, who's gonna spend that kind of money on an old car to redo the batteries on it? And uh, it uh, that might might help take care of the old car problem, but but it's going to make it a lot more expensive for people. I, I I don't like what's happening as we change. There's so much power in Washington now, more power than they've ever had in the history of this country, and a lot of it comes from lobbyists, as you well know. The lobbyists are there representing their particular companies and in uh the the the, they're actually they are the power people the lobbyists are because they can go in and influence so many people in washington and we have got to find some way to lessen the power there because you you talk about uh, the senators and 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 the congressmen that are there they're staying forever and the longer they stay, the more powerful they become. And and we have got to find a way to keep them from making the decisions on how long they're going to be there. I, it, it seems like the name, if it stays there long enough, it's an automatic from one every two or four years or whatever. And... Uh, those people, when you go into uh, one of those seats and, and all you have in your mind is about what's going to happen with you yourself, not your country, we're in a dangerous position. And that was one of the greatest things when this country first became a country. We had leaders that were not thinking about themselves they were thinking about the growth of this country and what's going to happen to the people that are going to be citizens here. And it doesn't seem like that we 
we have that anymore. And the more powerful these individuals become, the less power the, the voters have. We had a congressman, 6th District of Tennessee, had Joe L. Evans. Yeah. He was elected in the 1940s when Roosevelt was president. Mm -hmm. Served under Roosevelt, Truman, Eisenhower, Kennedy, Johnson, Nixon. Uh, I'm not sure he was there under Ford, but at least five presidents. Mm -hmm. uh, and, of course, <clears throat> at that time, the federal government was expanding and doing a lot of experimental things. They wanted to do you know, model water plants and that mm -hmm. sort of thing. And they couldn't find anybody to take care of it. And Joel, Congressman Evans was like, I, we can try it out. Take it up to Smithville, Tennessee, little mountain town up there in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> and so you had libraries and you had water systems and you had electrical systems and you had uh, actually put in a red light in the middle of town. Oh, surely not. And uh, <laughs> uh, Yeah, and it had a yellow in the middle, too. It had a yellow in the middle. But... Uh, uh, he was significantly in, in, influential yeah. in terms of legislation. That's sort one of thing. I, I worked for him up in Washington D.C. at one time, and it's a. But the the ideas inside that Beltway. If you're there more than about three years, he he probably was an exception. But you start thinking like the Interior Beltway, yeah, and you think you're better than everybody else in the country, and and it it loses the effectiveness of representing the people. And uh, I remember when. Uh, Al Gore Sr. was being interviewed, and they asked him, they said, well, uh, it seems like some of your votes don't follow the constituency that you have in Tennessee. Mm -hmm. And his response, not an exact quote, but pretty close, he said, well, I have to, uh, I have to follow my conscience and my convictions, and if the people of Tennessee don't follow that, then they need to learn how to do that. And he said, I'm going to vote my conscience. Yeah. And that was the end of his terms in Senate. Uh, in six, he'd been elected for a number of years. One of the great things he did was the interstate highway system. Yeah. Uh, but he kicked off his campaign, the last campaign race that he had. He kicked it off with a $25,000 plate campaign fundraiser dinner in Washington, D.C., sponsored by the Kennedys. Mm. And a lot of Tennesseans just said, I, I, that's it. We're through. And that's when he lost his race. I have seen a number of people who went to Washington, elected by the people, and they are pretty solid in representing their particular state or their particular part of the state. And once they got up there, they became influenced by a number of people that already had power in Washington. And it's amazing how their thought processes change in the time that they are there. And they become more uh, entrenched in the Washington thought process than they do with where they are represented, which state or, or the area of the state. And, and it's, I have, if you've been in this country long enough, and, and you're involved in some of the political things that goes on, you, you became more and more afraid of what our future looks like. And it seems like the longer that these people... I, I remember after Trump won that first time, uh, there, 
I don't like to watch the liberal uh, news media because it's not news anymore. It's 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 all propaganda in, in the way that they want things to be. And I never will, uh, forget watching the Communist News Network and because I wanted to see what they were going to say about Trump winning when it was totally everybody was saying it's he he didn't have a chance and um, they were discussing that and they said what happened we didn't see this coming and one of the well that's the, true they didn't see it coming no <laughs> and one of the ladies spoke up and she says i know what happened we were we were talking among ourselves during the whole electoral process and all the information we were getting is right here in Washington. That's that's what we were getting. We didn't go out across our country and see what the, the main part of the United States was thinking at the time. And it, it, it just, when you're putting that information out to the American people 24 hours a day, it has to bother them. It has to brainwash them. And, and the, the sad thing about uh, a, a democracy uh, like we live in is that everything depends on the information that the voters are getting, the citizens in the United States are getting. And, and look at it. it, it it's all coming uh, from the same people who want change in our country. But what is the change? See, that's that's... That's the dangerous part of it. The thought process doesn't agree with what the average American is, who, who still believes in freedom, still believes in democracy, still believes in, in um, the, the things that this country was built on. And uh, it's you get to thinking, why is that information so different than what our values are. And that's a scary process. My dad was a voluminous reader. I thought all houses got time, U.S. News, Newsweek, Wall Street Journal, Daily News Journal, Nashville Banner, Nashville, Tennessee, yeah. and the uh, whole deal. And he would read them all every day, and <clears throat> or every week, as the case may be. And I asked him one time, I said, why take time, U.S. News, and Newsweek all at the same time? Isn't it an overlap? He said, well, and this was at that time, he said, yeah. well, time tends to be on the conservative end of things. Newsweek's on the liberal end of things. Um, and uh, U.S. News is kind of down the middle. By reading all three of them, <clears throat> I get a sort of a, a balanced idea of where these groups are coming from, and I yeah. can look at the thing and a analyze what's there and get a good perspective as to what the situation really is. Mm -hmm. And I think the diversity of, of uh, information can help us if we screen it and consider it and look at it properly. But if we just drink the Kool-Aid, uh, that doesn't work so well. So. Well, the the people who go into that particular industry, the news media, they are usually influenced by whatever school that they go to. Now, a lot of them, they want you to have a, a BS or, or whatever in... in uh, being able to relate those things back to the people. But if they're influenced already, you're not really getting a, a true uh, sense of what's really happening as they give it out to. But I remember when the, the Tennessean and the Banner used to be in conflict with each other, the, the way that the, the 
thought processes went out. But it wasn't as dramatic as what's going on there right now. There was respect for the other party. Yes. Now there's not. Now it's not news-wise. It's very personal, and uh, you. you it's not a matter of respecting the other viewpoint. It's a matter of destroying the other viewpoint, yeah. or the source of the other viewpoint. And that destruction is what's made a huge difference in the approach that people have. Because, uh, <clears throat> you know, I had people I disagree with on things. That's fine. That's their viewpoint. But I didn't mean I want to shut them down and prevent them from talking or prevent them from having um, their presentation in a responsible manner. I mean, uh, in... Uh, you know, ripping down and businesses and destroying uh, federal courthouses and that sort of thing. I don't consider that to be a responsible manner. But uh, it's interesting that as we as we discuss with people things, you you run across ideas that are like, you know, I hadn't really thought about that. That's a consideration. Mm -hmm. And and you look at it and it can influence what you're doing. But what we find right now is. <clears throat> uh, you know, the Republicans are stonewalling. The Republicans are doing this, that, and the other. Well, what's happening on the Democrat side? Isn't that the same thing? Aren't they doing exactly the same thing? They refuse to negotiate. They refuse to to uh, compromise. They refuse to sit down and talk about things. But there's on that side, it's not viewed that way. They're being reasonable. But the Republicans doing the same thing are being unreasonable. And that's not an honest presentation of the situation. Have you ever seen anything like that before? I can't ever remember what the things that are going out, going down now politically. Uh, uh, it, it, I don't remember anything even being close to what's happening right now. And that's what scares me about the future of our country. We can't allow that to continue on. Tip O'Neill, who was, of course, a great Democrat leader in the... Remember in the, well. Uh, Congress, he uh, they interviewed him years after he'd left, and they said, Are, "Do you have any concerns about the uh, process?" And he said, "Yes." He said, "I do." He said, "You know, we would debate things on the floor. We'd have this, that, and the other." But he said it wasn't personal; <clears throat> it was strictly related to the issue. Mm -hmm. and he said, "At the end of the day, we'd go have dinner, we'd go visit, we'd go this, that, and the other." He said, "Now, it is intensely personal. It's not enough to address the issue. You have to destroy the other person." And he said, uh, that concerns me, because that's a change in the process which is not beneficial for the country. I don't think, um, it's time the, the American people woke up. And, and everybody's opinions, they count. But it, it doesn't have to be an opinion that has such a negative impact on our country and other people's rights. Be careful the use of the word woke. That has a different meaning now from what you or I were accustomed to. <laughs> oh, uh, I hate to tell you this. You're going you, to think that I'm crazy. But uh, Greg Tucker called me the other night, and he was telling me about uh, our breakfast the next morning, and it wasn't going to be happening. The problem when he called me was I had taken a sleeping pill. I talked to him two different times, he said, and I don't remember ever getting that call. But I was talking the whole time. So I, I wonder if uh, it maybe Ambium is, is, is traveling across this country with, with a group of people, and, and maybe 
nobody even remembers with the conversation that was going on. Well, the, the president redefined romance when he <laughs> bent down on the bent down on the White House lawn and pulled a dandelion blossom and gave it to his wife, and the news media was. We're all excited about how touching that was, and this, that, and the other. And I thought, you know, the president of the United States has better things to do than picking dandelions. So. <laughs> well, maybe that's what he needs to be doing in the next three years. All right, guys. Thank you, Paul. Paul DeHoff, thank Enjoyed you very it. much. And we'll have Harry Gill on the morning. We'll be talking um, some great memories uh, about Ben Cates. We'll see you then. From NHC's Adams Place, home of premier senior living on Memorial Boulevard, it's The Truman Show on News Radio WGNS, FM 100.5 and 101.9, AM 1450, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. Since 1981, Willow Windows has been making homes beautiful all over Tennessee. From decks and railings to doors and windows, visit willowwindow.pro. Willow Window, the official sponsor of the WGNS Studios. Willowwindow.pro.